Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Dr. Elia Guguris is the author of the number one best-selling book, Seven Paths to Lasting Happiness, and he is an international keynote speaker. As a happiness expert, Dr. Elia is the founder of The Happiest Center, an organization of world-leading experts in the field of positive psychology dedicated to providing personal success and happiness to others. He is a UCLA graduate, and holds a PhD in clinical psychology. He is, a cert- he is certified by the American Red Cross in disaster mental health services, having assisted them in the front lines in natural and other disasters. He has just published his second book called The Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a practical guide to emotionally dealing with pandemics and other disasters. So we're excited to have him on our show today. Welcome, Dr. Elia. Thank you for having me on your show, Ed. I look forward to a uh, meaningful conversation with you. Well, I think we will have a lot of to talk about based on the bio I just read, which was just a small piece of who you are. I'd love for you to share maybe a little bit more about who you are and really how you're interacting with the world today. Thank you. So uh, I uh, first half of my career, I was a clinical psychologist in private practice for a long time. Loved it. Uh, got kind of burned out at, towards the end and switched over to uh, executive coaching and leadership training and development. And, uh, you know, used to speak around the United States. And then the book came out, Seven Past the Lasting Happiness. It hit number one. And that really has become my business card the last five years. Uh, I don't even have business cards, to be honest with you, the, the book. <laughs> so I travel now internationally, you know, last year before the pandemic, spoke in Rome and uh, London and Paris and Athens and book at been translated to three or four languages. And uh, right now, since the seven kids navigating a crisis came out, uh, the majority of the work really has to do with organizations, profit and nonprofit, from the Fortune 100 to the small nonprofit companies who have the same exact issues, meaning, especially as the economy opened up again, how do they deal with their employees who are traumatized, who are depressed, anxious, and stressed out? And they really don't know how to uh, work with them. So they've reached out to both myself and my partner, Konstantinos Apostolopoulos, a fine Greek name, if I may add. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's what we're doing. So I'm doing presentations all over the world from India. I spoke to Belgium yesterday. 
Greece, Amsterdam, I mean, uh, you name it. And uh, the needs are exactly the same. I guess that's my point. It doesn't matter how big your organization is or how small it is. We're still talking about people who are fatigued and exhausted and scared. And uh, so we come in and we help them with their uh, HR issues. Wow. Well, fantastic. And when you think about the impact of the pandemic, while uh, a lot of people don't think the United States has handled the pandemic well at all, I think the impact of the pandemic on mental health is something you hear about occasionally in the news, but not significantly. And, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more from you on what your observations have been of the potential impact of the pandemic on mental health. Well, first of all, the world is facing an unprecedented quadruple global crisis, obviously COVID-19. Now, the mental health crisis, where we have a thousand percent increase, and according to the United Nations, over one billion people, that's with a B, suffering from depression, anxiety, and stress, mindful, these are people that did not have a pre-existing condition. That's really important. I personally believe that's way underreported. There's no way only one out of seven people on this planet is suffering from depression, anxiety, and stress. It's probably six out of seven, if not seven out of seven. So, <laughs> that. Then, of course, you have the economic and financial crisis with tens of millions of people unemployed here in the United States, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people unemployed across the globe, and a billion or two underemployed or feeling financially insecure, meaning, how am I going to take care of my family and my loved ones You know, next week? And then, of course, you have the racial, political, and social strife happening. So, and I'm not even talking about people's personal crisis, like going through a divorce or having a sick child or taking care of an elderly parent um, or natural disasters, wildfires, hurricanes, uh, floods, and so on. We're not even talking about those. So as human beings, we're very resilient. And obviously, we've been through other crises before in our lives. We can deal with one or two at the same time. We can't deal with four or five or six especially when there's no end in sight. And this is what's causing the most, I, I believe, stress in people. There's no end in sight. And that's, people like predictability. We're creatures of habit. You know, this back and forth, we're opening up the economy, shutting down, lockdown, triple lockdown, opening up again and back and forth. It's like, you know, watching a tennis match with our lives though, that is directly impacting our wellness and our happiness. And this happens on a weekly basis. Yeah, it's uh, un experienced in mankind, right? At least in modern mankind. You know, we hear a lot of references back to 1918 and the pandemic that happened there. But of course, I don't think anyone and maybe just a few people are still alive who might have uh, been uh, alive back then. But, you know, today this is such a new and unanticipated set of activities. To your point, I think we all anticipated predictability, right? That the pandemic was breaking out, we're going to get a vaccine, we'll be back to work in three months. And in reality, what has happened is significantly different. And when you add that to multiple other types of activities that might be going on for people personally within their own lives, as well as just globally or nationally, uh, for a lot of folks, it just might be too much. Exactly. And so I wanted to just share with folks that I did buy your book, The Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis. I read it, and part of the reason I read books of my guests in advance of our conversation is because when we think about the topic of bravery at work, I think your work oftentimes dovetails with those this topic, right? And there's things that you say or things that you observe that have to do with bravery at work. So if I can indulge you for a moment, I just want to call out a couple of your observations. And what I'd ask you, uh, Ilya, to do is really think about uh, how this might relate to 
bravery in the workplace. So in the introduction, you talk a little bit about and make the statement, if I start right now, where will I be in a week or a month or a year, as opposed to just letting the status quo continue? And why I think that's important is because oftentimes people are not brave at work because they just put up with it or let it go or don't have the bravery to say, hey, can I talk with you for a minute? There's something I need to tell you that I think would be important for you because they're letting it go as part of the status quo. So, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit of your thoughts on that. Well, and you know, I practiced that in my life and I have since I was a young man. I always project into the future. And when I was a clinical psychologist, one of my expertise was on addictions. My dissertation was on Alcoholics Anonymous and 12 Steps. And, you know, I work with a lot of addicts. And this is the best way that I found to help them overcome their addictions. I would have them project and write it down. So if you continue to do cocaine or, or drinking and driving, where will you be a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, or 20 years from now? And obviously, the answer to that is progressively, their lives would get darker and darker. Oftentimes, people say, 20 years, I'll be dead. 10 years from now, I might be in jail, uh, and so on. I mean, they, they would write it down. And then, of course, I would ask them, okay, now, what if you were to quit and consistently stay sober? Where will you be a year from now? Where a little bit better? How about five years from now? How about 10 years from now? How about 20 years from now? So when they get to the 20-year mark, remember, the 20-year mark on the, on the bad side, dead or in prison the 20 year i'm thriving in my life i have healthy relationships i'm you know and also i'm successful in my business so then i would bring those two statements together side by side and ask them so today you sit at choice what will you choose today because this will project where you will end up and oftentimes people were able to make that decision because they project into the future and they realize man i'm heading down the wrong path And I I may not even be around five or 10 years from now, but I really want to be successful in life. So I will do whatever it takes because ultimately they have to get to that rock bottom. I will do whatever it takes, whether it's rehab or whatever you need. And they were able to make those brave decisions and break year long habits that wreaked havoc in their lives. And I think people who overcome additions are the most brave people in the world, because unless you're a true addict, you don't fully get how difficult it is. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this idea of choice, you know, I really connect with because a lot of time in the work that I do with clients, I acknowledge to them that a lot of what we're going to be talking about our ideas. The choice to do something with an idea is yours. I can't require or demand you to do it as your coach. I don't have that authority. But, you know, you have to choose. If I feel I need to have a conversation with my boss, it's going to be difficult. You have to choose to do it. It's just not going to happen naturally. And there's things that you need to do to prep for it. And I, I love in chapter two, which is titled awareness, which is one of your seven you know, keys, is this idea that you're either in the fear camp or the faith camp. And I believe in order to be brave at work, you have to be in more of the faith camp, that you have to have faith that what you're going to do or what you're going to say will have a positive outcome and not a negative outcome. And I'd love to hear you reflect just for a couple of minutes on kind of fear camp versus faith camp. Yeah, first of all, all human emotions, every human emotion is based on these two principles. What is the fear camp? Fear-based emotions are anxiety, stress, depression, hopelessness, discouragement. You know, those are all, you know, fear, pain. On the flip side, the, the faith camp is, is love, optimism, positivity, you know, the whole idea that, you know, things are going to work out in the end. I have faith that things will work out. And as human beings, I personally have gone from the f- faith camp to the fear camp and back to the faith camp within the same hour in my life. 
life is good, everything is fine. And then you get that phone call or you get that email and you're like devastated and completely thrown. You, 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 you know, you go into the, the fear camp and it takes a while for you to adjust and to gain your balance again and kind of go back to that positivity. So we go back and forth between fear and faith. I w- if people become consciously aware of that, I would say on a daily basis because no day is perfect. So we, we, we get hijacked sometimes, emotionally hijacked into the fear camp. And of course, the goal is not that you should never visit the fear camp because that's not realistic. The goal is not to stay there and build your house. Uh, go visit, spend some time there, lick your wounds if you have to, but then pivot or navigate back to the faith camp because really that's where your best life is to be lived. So I'm just wondering if you could give our listeners, you know, one or two pieces of advice or thoughts on, you know, how to place yourself in the faith camp more often when it comes to being brave at work. And when we talk about bravery at work, it's it's really saying something that needs to be said or doing something that needs to be done that requires bravery. So do you have a couple of ideas that you can share with folks on how to put themselves more in the faith camp? Well, absolutely. I mean, we talked about it before, right? The principles of uh, projecting into the future. What will happen if you don't open your mouth and stand up for what's right or speak up for yourself and, and honor yourself and respect yourself? What happens What happens in general when people don't do that for a long period of time? What is the impact to them on their emotional health, their mental health, and eventually their physical health? When you don't honor your truth and you bury it, you swallow it day after day, you start getting resentful, <laughs> you're unhappy, you're miserable, um, you're, you're, you're in the victim mode. And in the book, we talk about the four different personality types in the crisis. And the first, you know, personal type, of course, is the victim, which is, uh, why is this happening to me? Poor me. You know what victims don't do? They don't take personal responsibility. And the biggest difference between successful people in life and at work and, and the rest is this. Successful people do three things consistently. They make the same mistakes. They have the same weaknesses, the same human frailties as everybody else, except Number one, when something goes wrong, they take personal responsibility. They say, you know what? This is on me. Nobody put a gun to my head. I made that decision. I own it. Number one. Number two, they learn from it. Like, what am I supposed to learn from this? This is very painful. The greatest lessons that I've learned in life, Ed, have come from disappointments, not from my successes. The greater the disappointment, the greater the degree of the lesson, right? And then number three, which I personally think number three is actually more important than personal responsibility and uh and learning and lesson, you might say, how is that possible? They have the ability to let it go. In other words, what's happening here in 2020, I'm not going to bring it with me in 2021. I owned it. I was honest about it. I learned my lessons, but I'm not going to keep it. Most people walk around with what I call this invisible a backpack that has 100 pounds worth of rocks. And they wake up in the morning before they brush it, they put the backpack on and they go about their day like this. And the, those rocks are symbolic of mistakes, resentments weaknesses, um, addictions perhaps, but basically, or the inability to forgive themselves. Self-forgiveness, there's a direct link between self-forgiveness and happiness. There's no doubt about that. People talk about happiness and self-care and being grateful and so on. These are great. But if you don't learn how to forgive yourself, you're always burdened. And and I don't want to be burdened. So to me, I learn it and I'm like, you know what? You're human. Now, as I'm getting older, it becomes easier because I'm like, okay, Old days is hit. It's not the end of the world. And the ability to laugh at yourself and be lighthearted, even in the midst when you make mistakes, is a wonderful gift. We take ourselves way too seriously, honestly. 
And this lack of forgiveness is, is devastating to one's not only happiness and wellness, but to their self-worth and their self-esteem. Yeah. Well, I love this as a transition to my next observation from your book, which is in chapter three of flexibility, where it talks about the four responses to unexpected change, which I also think is where people are when it comes to being brave at work. So you are either in victim mode, where, which we just described, critic mode. And you know this is what I call the water cooler effect, where you sit and have a conversation with your boss and you don't have a good relationship with your boss. You're not enjoying the conversation, but you act like everything's fine. And then you go to the water cooler and talk with a friend saying, oh my God, my boss is terrible. We just had this ridiculous conversation. So you're not doing anything to choose to change it. You're just a critic of it. Or in some cases, even worse, bystander mode, where you're just watching it happen and not doing anything about it. And of course, I think the fourth is the one you'd want people to be in, which is the navigator mode, which is saying something that needs to be said or doing something that needs to be done. So I think when it comes to bravery at work, most people are either victims, critics, or bystanders. And it's the real brave person who says, I think it's time we said something, or I think it's time we did something. I want to be a navigator of where we're going and what we're doing. And I want to shift into navigator mode. Now, what's important to note here, too, and this is kind of my psychologist's hat, uh, wearing my hat here, is that all four of these personality types exist within each human being. We all have those. For example, when the pandemic first hit in March, all my speaking engagements across the globe got canceled within a week. I got email after email canceled. You know, I was supposed to be in Barcelona in October. I ended up doing it, but it was here, you know, in front of my camera in my office. <laughs> Barcelona. <clears throat> so was I, did I have the bystander, you know, the deer with the headlights look, what am I going to do now? Frozen in fear. You're darn right. I did. And did I feel like the victim? Why is this happening to me? You know, my speaking career was blowing up. You know, I'm traveling. This is great. All, all canceled. And have I been critical from time to time of our government because of some of the choices they've made uh, in dealing with the pandemic? You're done right, I have. The key is, but then you know what will happen? I pivoted and I, because I had that opening of time, what did I do? I navigated and with my partner, Coach Khan, wrote this book and then the rest is history actually. So I used that time and that's the thing. We're all gonna be victims, bystanders or critics, but let's just do that for an hour, not for two months. It does me no good to criticize, even rightly so, my boss or the government or whatever for two months. Why? Because this robs me of my own personal wellness and happiness. Let's do it for two hours, vent, get it out of your system, and then pivot and become a navigator and start you know, with a positive attitude and practice flexibility and adaptability, which are huge in, in dealing with a crisis. Practice self-care and then be kind to other people. Like do those things, you know, be a victim, Feel sorry for yourself for like 10, 15 minutes. Say, okay, do it for half an hour. And then again, pivot and become the navigator because I'm not happy when I'm, uh, when I'm a victim. That doesn't help me in any way. So remember, we all have it. Do it for a short amount of time and then consciously decide, okay, that's enough. Time for me to pivot. Well, I think this is such an important lesson for our listeners that the victim mode, the critic mode, and the uh, bystander mode our human reaction behavior. There's, there's nothing wrong with you because you might feel that or experience that. Uh, what you want to do, going back to one of our earlier discussion points, is to make a choice to say, all right, here's what I'm feeling. I'm either acting like a victim or I'm feeling like a critic or I'm a bystander watching it happen and not doing anything. How do I become more of a navigator? What can I do? And 
I'm a big fan of accountability partners. Can I find someone and say, hey, let me just share with you what I'm experiencing. I think I want to do something about it. Can you help me figure that out? And I hope you have somebody or know somebody that can help you do that. And remember that those three personality types, even though they're very, very human and we all have them, they have one thing in common. They don't move the needle forward. They don't offer solutions, right? We're not in, in improving our lives if we stay in those three modes. That's why you have to become a navigator and go get it and, and your best life. Right. Well, uh, I've enjoyed our conversation today, Ilya, and I just want to end with the quote that you have from Carl Jung in chapter five of your book, that I am not what has happened to me. I am what I choose to become. And I think that's a great, great uh, thought for uh, people looking to be braver in the workplace, that I am not what has happened to me. I am who I choose to become. That's exactly right. And I'm not sure if you were going to talk about a bravery story. Uh, we had talked about that. If we run out of time, that's fine, too. But uh, the choices we make in life, in the end, it doesn't matter how much you know in life. What matters, what do you do with what you know? Right. It, right. That is the key point. So unfortunately, we are out of time. I wish we could continue. But if folks do want to talk with you more or uh, when we post the podcast, we'll post a link to your website, to your LinkedIn profile and to your book on Amazon. You know, how could people reach out to you if they'd like to talk to you more about your work or you know, the way that you're interacting with the world? Yeah, connect with me on, uh, on LinkedIn, uh, Ilya Gregoris, PhD, The Happiness Doctor, or uh, my website is dreliagregoris.com. And uh, would love to come and help your organization in uh, helping how to navigate not just this crisis, but what we call the next normal, not the new normal, the next normal. Because the only thing, truly, if we've learned nothing from this, is the only thing that's consistent is change, <laughs> right? That's the only thing we can count on, that things are not going to stay the same. So, uh, so that's, what I do. that's what we do, yes. Fantastic. Well, change is the new normal. So, well, Dr. Ilya, thank you again for your time today. You're welcome. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. We hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Apple, Google, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.